Um, but we're going to talk about abiding. Um, so if we think about all the disciplines, we often think about prayer and praise and reading the Bible and all these things you have to do. Um, but we're going to talk about one. It's a little unusual one. It's called, which I've, I think is um, in the scripture. I have too many things here. Um, abiding. And it was interesting that um, Mike picked up Psalm 91 because I was going to start with this uh, Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 where it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. And in the middle of that is a phrase which I think is one of the most wonderful phrases, this one that shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's amazing that we get to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so today we're going to be, I'm going to be sharing some thoughts about abiding out of the book of 1 John. So in my scripture reading, um, I sort of read randomly, and usually when I finish one book, I ask God, what do you want me to read next? And the last time that I asked that question, God said, I want you to read everything that was written by John. So, so far I've read the Gospel of John. I'm in the middle of, I'm in 1 John, and after this I have to go to Revelation. I'm not looking forward to that. But it's a book I tend to avoid reading, but we'll do it. But so today I would like to, to, um, to share some thoughts out of 1 John. So if, you, if you've got a Bible or you've got a phone, can you turn to 1 John? Because we're going to need a few of you to have it in a minute. But before we get there, one of the things that I've noticed about the book of 1 John is that at the beginning of this book, John establishes the message of the gospel. And he does it very, very clearly. And I'm going to read to you what he had that that message and it starts in 1 John verse 5 and I'm going to read down to verse 2 of chapter 2 so it says this is the message which we have heard from him that's Jesus and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say, you'll notice that's there twice, that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say, third time, that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself 
is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. This is the message. To put it simply, very, very simply, because I've been going back to basics recently, the first thing is that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. If we look at the world or you look at your circumstances or you look at the situation that you find yourself, the light is where God is. The darkness is where the enemy is coming to to rob, kill and destroy because that's what he does. In God there is no darkness at all. The second thing I think that you get clear from this scripture is that God, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, cleanses us from all sin. And But it's not just for us. It's for everybody. And that's the message. Simple as that. But I noticed in there twice that the word truth is in. Because I've been reflecting a lot about the truth recently. I don't know. Has anyone else been thinking about the truth? I've been thinking about the truth. What is the truth? There's a lot of stuff being said and everybody's saying different things. How on earth are we supposed to know what's the truth? And I had a revelation out of this scripture because let's go back to those two places. Once The first one is in verse 6 where it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And then again in verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, I think sometimes we are looking for some sort of objective truth reality out there when in actual fact the truth is in here. And the truth, you only get to the truth when you get to the point where you can admit that you could be wrong. The truth is, I could be wrong. The truth is, I have been in error. The truth is, I have sinned. That's what the truth is. The truth is an admission of error. See, the thing is, we're looking to be right about something when in actual fact, God, what God is looking for in the truth is the admission that I could be or I have been wrong. That's where the truth is. And that's why we all get angry and mad at each other over the truth. That's why the world's all fighting about this and that and where we're going this way and that way. It's because... The truth is only available in the admission of the error because it is only in the admission of the error that you can come to the throne boldly and the God who is truth can cover your error. No, I cannot say that again. (laughs) Hopefully someone recorded it. The phrase that I've got in a big box on my notes is, the truth is in the admission of my error. See, it takes away the whole argument if you're prepared to admit, I might be wrong. Think about that for a minute. How many arguments have you been in that could have been fixed by the, I could be wrong? This is a revelation to me, like very recent revelation. And I think if you think about that in relationship to, say, um, 1 John verse 9, where it says, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, that cleansing from unrighteousness, that coming to know him, he who is the truth, it comes through that admission of error. And I think that also equally applies to John 8.32. You all know what that says? Who who can tell me what's John 8.32? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. See, to come to Jesus and to be set free by him, the first step is repentance, right? That's where the truth is. The truth is in the repentance. That's what makes you free. And so I think what's really interesting here in 1 John is that John sets up in this foundational section, this beginning section, the message. And then he refers back to that message all the way through the rest of the book. And so we're going to have some fun today because remember I told you that we should um, we should open up to 1 John, right? So who's got 1 John available? Right, can you look up chapter 2, verse 6? Who else has got it? Chapter 2, verse 10. Marissa, chapter 2, verse 14. Who else has got it? Chapter 2, verse 17. Marguerite, 2.24. Leisha, you've got it? 2.27. You got it, Sandra? 2.28. Who else? Mike, 3.6. Jen, you got it? 3.14. Russell, have you got it? Um. <laughs> In the, yes. 3.15. Anyone else? 3.17. Rita or David, when have you got it? 3.24. Yeah, Dave, you. Um, Jonathan, surely you've got it on that thing. 4.12. Sue, 4.13. Mark, 4.15. And the last one, I'll do. Since I look. You two have been sitting there quietly. Leanne, 416. Now we're going to do it in order because faith comes from hearing, right? That's what this is for. 26. Read it to us. He who says it's in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. 210. Whatever you want to use. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. It says abides in the light in another version. The next one, 2.14, where did that go? I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Have you noticed these have all got abide in them? What are we up to? 2.17. This is to get my exercise. (laughs) The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Or abides forever. Where are we up to? 2.24. Verse 24 says, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And 2.27, who had 2.27? That was a bad plan, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it taught you, you will abide in him. Amen. 2.28. Okay. Now, little children, remain in him so that, or abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed and shrink away from his coming. Excellent. 3.6. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Verse 14, 3.14. Who was verse 3.14? Yeah, there's 15 after that. You're 17. You'll do 14. And then you'll do 15. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And then verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? 24, 324. That was you, Dave, wasn't it? Now it's easy because they're caught up with us. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And then we have uh, 412. We got up to chapter 4 in this book. Jonathan. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. What about 4.13? You pass that round the suit behind you. 4.13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Fifteen. Yeah, and four fifteen. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And finally, four sixteen over here. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Thank you everybody for reading all my scriptures. You might have noticed that they all had the word abide. Where are we abiding? I'll put that one down and then I can use this one now. It was 16 times within the space of, you know, three pages, four pages that 
that John uses the word abide. And he tells us many things that we should be abiding in or that should be abiding in us. I'm wondering, as you reflect on listening to those 16 scriptures, was there something that stood out to you? What did you notice? What did you see? What was striking about what God was calling us to abide with? Abide in him. Abide in him. And I believe it is one of the spiritual disciplines to abide in him. And I think one of the things that I think is significant is in verse 28, so 228. If we go there, we start there. It says, And now, little children, abide in him. And when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Our confidence in his coming is because we know that we're in him, so there is nothing to fear in his coming. And it's a discipline to remain. So I did actually look up the word abide in the dictionary to check out what it actually means. This is what it says. It means to continue in the same place or in one place, to continue. It means to conform to something. So to abide with something is to conform to it, to become like it. It means to remain stable and fixed. In other words, immovable. I'm not going to be swayed by anything. To abide is to wait for. So in that remaining, in that continuing in the same place, there is with that continuation a waiting for something. And in that waiting for, the dictionary actually said patiently. It said to wait patiently for something, to there's a notion of anticipation in that. Um, and it says also, without yielding. So to wait for something patiently and without yielding. In other words, not giving up. I'm reminded of Winston Churchill. You know that whole, you know that famous, you know, we will never surrender. And it is to accept something without objecting. To abide in him is to continue, to conform, to remain stable, to wait patiently, not yielding, not giving up, and to accept without objecting. And so in the book of John, 1 John, that we've just read all those 16 times that it uses the word abide, I think there are four things that God is asking us to continue in. Number one, God is asking us to continue in the simplicity of the gospel. That message that he set up at the beginning, you know how I said that first um, verse 5 where it says, this is the message? That's the first thing that he's asking us to abide in, to abide in that message, in the simplicity of the gospel. In 2.24, it says, therefore let you abide in that which you heard from the beginning which is he's established, this is the message. God is light, there's no darkness in him, and there is a way for you to be cleansed. And that way is through the truth, which is the admission of error. That's the simplicity of the gospel. God wants you to abide there, to stay there, to remember that. In 4.15, it's put in slightly differently, where he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is in God. 
Number two, if that first one, the foundation, is in that simplicity of that message that John establishes at the beginning of this book, the second thing that God asks us to abide in is to abide in the will of God by the way that we walk. So in the walk and the will of God. In 2, 6... He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. In 2.17, it says, And the world is passing away in the last of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. In 3.6, it says, Whoever abides in him does not sin. And in 3.24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. See, it's in the walk, in the will of God, that is without sin, that's where the abiding is. If the message is that God is light, then our action, our response needs to be that we will walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what it means to abide. Not just to know the message, but to walk the message in the way that you live your life. That's what God is calling us in our abiding. So one of our spiritual disciplines is to abide in that walk. To abide in that walk. To do the will of the Father and to not sin. Number three. We're asked in this book to continue in light and love for one another. In 2 verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And then pick that thought up again in 3.17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? In 4.12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the spirit. And then in 4.16, a little bit further, and he, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. We're asked to continue in the light that comes from our love towards one another. And then fourthly, because what I've worked out is that I can't do one, two or three by myself. Anybody else worked that out in your life? I've, I've lived long enough to know that one, two, three, I can't do. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. It's like that, you know, that prayer people say, you know, dear God, so far I've, you know, had the perfect day, but in a minute I'm going to get up, so after that I'm going to need some help. You know, God didn't leave us with this abiding in making it us all our responsibility. Because the fourth thing that we're asked to continue in it's, is in the spirit and his anointing. 
See, the anointing is the power of God to break the burdens, to destroy the yokes around your life, the things that hold you back. In chapter 2.27, it says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. See, it's the anointing, the power of God unto salvation that abides in you. See, it's the power of God unto salvation. It's I, When I come to that admission of error, that truth, telling about myself, that's when the Spirit comes and abides in me. See, God doesn't leave me to my own devices. He doesn't leave you to your own devices. God sent his Spirit. As Jesus promised, he'd send us a helper. And you do not need that anyone teach you. So I can go home now, see you all later. (laughs) But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. It never ceases to amaze me how you hear stories about people in the middle of whoop-whoop who don't have a Bible, who've never met a Christian, who know the truth. Because there's the power of the Spirit of God. And if you call on that Spirit, God will come and help you. In 3.24, to hear it again, but he who keeps his commandments abides in him and in him. But by and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. See, God's plan was not for us to do one, two, and three by ourselves. It's like we are going to abide in Jesus and God. No, God actually comes and abides in us. Once upon a time, I was a year four teacher. And when I was a year four teacher, we did this uh, unit of work with the students in Christian studies about the character of God. And so we taught them all these big fancy words like God is omnipotent, and God is omniscient, and God is omnipresent, and God is, you know, you know, all of these fancy big, you know, theological words, right? And at the end of the unit, because of course, as the teacher, I have to do an assessment. So this was my assessment. I asked them, they gave me a piece of paper, and I, the question on the top was, tell me what you've learnt about God and just left them to write whatever they liked. And I had a little kid in my class, his name was Michael. And this is what Michael wrote. I am amazed, or I learnt, that the God who is bigger than the universe fits in my heart. That's a, that's a wisdom of a nine-year-old. The God, it's the revelation of the Spirit. That God who is bigger than the universe fits in my heart. That's the power of the abiding. Because we do, yes, we've got this responsibility. I'm sure that I'm, I'm preaching to the converted here. So we are all seeking to walk in the will of God, I'm sure. I'm sure we are all seeking to walk in the light of loving one another. But I am so thankful that he didn't leave me to work it out by myself. And finally in 4.13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, 
because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Saviour of the world. And I think one of the things about this concept of abiding is how important it is to appreciate the paradox. And I think we see that paradox in the scripture really well in some of the things that Paul says. If you turn quickly to Philippians, I forgot to tell you about this bit, but Philippians chapter 3. What's the time? Yeah, I've got time for this. Just as a closing thought, in Philippians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that's how I find things in the Bible. I have to sing a song in my head. Normally I do it in my head, not out loud. It says in, in Philippians 3 verse 3, this is Paul writing, For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though, and this is what Paul says about himself, I might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so, circumcised on the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I mean, if Paul had any, if, if there was anyone who was eligible to be confident in himself, in relationship to God is Paul. And for many of us who've been Christians for a very long time, it's easy to fall into that sort of confidence. I've been around church. I know what I'm doing. I know how to play this game. I know how to do this caper. Everybody thinks I'm a perfectly good Christian. This is what Paul says. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And I think that's the foundation of Paul's great admission in 1 Timothy 1.15. This, I don't know, this one's a conundrum. I don't really understand it, and I'm going to study it a bit more. But 1 Timothy 1.15, I can't find 1 Timothy 1.15. I can't find Timothy, and I can't remember the song. Here it is. Woo! <laughs> Hebrews, James. Yeah, I'm like, yes. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, where Paul says, This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptance is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. See, Paul knew he was a sinner, and here he is at the end of his life giving his instructions to his Timothy, who is, you know, his son in the Lord. And he still has this memory, he still has this remembrance that I'm the chief of all the sinners. You know, I've, you know, in there is the revelation of the truth. The truth. That, that admission that I have been, I could be, I might be in error. Paul held that paradox. He understood. And just in closing, I wrote a closing statement as I try to do. It's, I, it says this, we've become so obsessed with getting the facts right and being right about things that we have lost sight of what the truth is. To abide in God 
is to be remain aware of our truth, our capacity for and our the reality of the error that we carry with us. And it's only then are we able to come under the blood of Jesus and with the Spirit and its anointing to destroy the burdens, to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Because without Jesus and the Spirit with us, there is no safety in the shadow of the Almighty.